So we are doing a series called Our Strange Bible, looking at some of these strange and interesting passages of Scripture. So we've looked at a guy who touched the wrong thing and died, a man who sacrificed his own daughter, somebody who talked to the dead. And today's passage is one that somebody in the congregation asked about, and I had invited you. If you have those passages you read and you say, I don't know what to do with that thing, go ahead and send, send those to me, ask me about them. If you, want, if you want to tell me on Sunday, it's best to write it down on a piece of paper somehow so I stick it in my pocket because anything told to me between about nine and noon on Sunday just goes in one ear and out the other. But so there's an opportunity, if there's one of those passages that you just don't know what to do with, and this is one of those ones that somebody asked me about. And so we're going to read this story in Matthew chapter 11 and see what it might say to us today. And so we have two main characters. We have John and we have Jesus. And if you've come and heard me preach before, oftentimes one of the things I talk about is we're in Matthew chapter 11. So what happens before Matthew chapter 11? Well, Matthew chapter 10 and 9, 8, 7, 8, you know, 10 other chapters of Matthew. So we're introduced to some characters. And two of those characters are John and Jesus. And what we want to recognize is when Matthew wrote down his gospel, he had a purpose for writing it down. He wasn't trying to tell everything there was to tell about Jesus. He picked particular stories, and he took them, and he, he said, I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to use these words to tell the story. Just like you or I, if we were all witnesses at the same event, if I were to ask you this afternoon to sit down and write and say, what happened this morning in worship? Some of you would say, I have no idea. I forget. But some of you would tell a story, and each of you would pick different things, and you would tell it in a different way, sometimes because you wanted to highlight something, to, to import something, something that maybe spoke to you, or you're trying to share a message with someone. It doesn't mean that the story Mike tells is the wrong story, the story Aurora tells the right story. We all just tell different stories. And so we have four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the story of Jesus. And Matthew wrote the story in a particular way. He wrote 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he picked out stories and he tells us certain things. So he's introduced us in the first 10 chapters to two characters, lots of other characters, but two in particular that matter for our story, John and Jesus. Jesus he's introduced as the Messiah. And he's come and Jesus, we've seen Jesus in those first 10 chapters teaching. His most famous, some of his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount takes up chapters 5, 6, and 7. We see him healing people of leprosy. We see him healing the lame, giving sight to the people. We see him raising a girl from the dead. We see him gathering people around him and say, I want you to be my followers and I want you to be with me and learn from me. So that's Jesus. The other character is John. And John we only get a little glimpse of around chapters three and four. And John is this character that shows up and he's out in the wilderness so we got the city of Jerusalem up on the hill, and he's out in the, the wilderness, the desert area around there, down by the river. And he wears camel hair clothes, and he's eating locusts and honey. He's a little bit of an outsider. But he's got this message, and he's telling people that God is about to do something new. That God is breaking in, and God is bringing his kingdom. And so he's inviting the people to hear the news of that kingdom, and to, to repent, to turn their lives around, to confess where they've been wrong, confess their sins, and to move in a new direction. And then John says, and there's someone coming after me. I said, I'm giving you this message, but one coming after me is greater than I am. He said, I'm the one, I'm just, I'm just the messenger. 
I'm the herald, and the one I'm heralding is the one that God has promised. And He's going to be the king, and He's going to sit on the throne, and He's going to baptize. John says, well, I'm bringing you in the river. I'm using water. But this other guy, he's coming, and he's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring God's judgment. He's going to be do all these things. And so that's who John is. And so we meet him. And in the story, we see that Jesus is the one that John is talking about. So then we skip forward a whole bunch of chapters. And we meet where we hook up with Jesus. And he's been talking to his 12 disciples, these 12 close followers. And then it says John was in prison. We're not told here in Matthew. Matthew doesn't isn't interested in why John was in prison. He was speaking out against politicians, and the politicians didn't like what he said, so they threw him in jail. But John's in prison, and he hears about what Jesus is doing. And he's curious. He says, I'm going to send my disciples. He says, go to Jesus and say, are you the one? Are you the one, or should we expect someone else, someone of a different kind? And so what's interesting here is John was the one who said, Jesus is the man. John was the one who said, Jesus is going to be the Messiah. John was the one who baptized him and said, the one coming after me is the one. And now John is sitting there in prison. And it's almost as if John's having some doubts. He's starting to wonder because part of the thing that G John is seeing is that Jesus wasn't, doesn't seem to be doing those things that G John expected. It's always hard when there's two J names. We got John and Jesus. So, John is watching Jesus, and Jesus doesn't seem to be doing, because John said what? The one after me is going to baptize with fire, and he's going to baptize with the Spirit. John was expecting a Messiah who would come in and bring down God's judgment on people, that everything would just be set right. And he hears these stories about Jesus, and Jesus is hanging out with the sinners. And John's saying, well, maybe I got it wrong. But I think part of what happened was John had an idea of how God worked. John had an idea of how Jesus would work. And Jesus wasn't following those expectations. And because Jesus wasn't following the expectations, John started to have some doubt. Maybe you've had that experience where you have an idea of what you expect God to do in a moment. Maybe it's in response to a prayer. Maybe it's in a ministry that you're involved in. Maybe it's something in your family and you have a picture of how God works. Or maybe it's, I went to this event and God changed my life. And so you invite someone else to go to that same kind of event and you think, well, God works. This is how God works. And they go to that event and nothing happens. And so you, then you start to doubt and you think, well, what, did that really happen to me then? And so we experience the same sort of doubts, or sometimes it's just we start to run into obstacles because John is thinking, I'm the messenger of God, and now here I am in jail. And so John is looking, he's saying, Jesus isn't doing what I thought he would do. Jesus isn't judging the people on the outside, which is not something we would ever do. We would never be upset that Jesus isn't taking care of all the bad people, right? And so John is like, well, I don't, I don't know. So he sends his followers, he said, talk to Jesus. Ask him, are, are, did I get it wrong? Are you the one or, or is there another one? And Jesus says, go back and tell John this. 
The blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are being cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus, in this moment, says a whole bunch of things that, if we're Bible nerds, we go back to the book of Isaiah. All these things that the prophet Isaiah had said, this is what will look like. These are the kind of things that will happen when the Messiah comes. In other words, he said, he sends back to John, he says, through John's disciples, he said, well, here's the signs, and if you know Isaiah, which I know you know, then you're going to recognize that I am the one. All these things are happening. And then he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And it's a way to say that don't let your preconceived notions, your doubts overwhelm you. Don't focus on the opposition, the delay, and the appearance. That's what John was doing. He was saying, it doesn't look right. It doesn't seem to be doing what I expected to do. Denise talked about the mustard seed. And that's one of the parables that Jesus used because the kingdom of God was like that mustard seed. It didn't look like much. The start didn't look like much. But it was growing into something big. And so Jesus is just reminding John. He says, just focus, continue on. Persevere through the hard times. And so John's disciples take off and Jesus turns to the crowd. And then, I think in that moment, he wants the crowd to understand something. Because in the moment, it maybe feels like, well, that John guy, he's not much of a follower. I mean, he's in jail and he's just doubting Jesus. And so Jesus wants to point out and say, John, no, John, you need to listen to John. You need to pay attention. Because when you went out to see John, did you go out to see a, a reed swayed by the wind? What Jesus saying was, what happens if you've got leaves out there and they just blow in the wind, they just kind of follow the direction of the wind? John is in jail because he was speaking truth to power. He's not a reed swayed by the wind. He was out in the desert wearing camel hair and eating locusts and honey. He wasn't a man dressed in fine clothes. No, he wasn't out there. He was doing, he says, what Jesus says is, what did you go out to see, a prophet? He was a prophet. He was someone who spoke for God. In fact, he was more than a prophet. He was the final prophet. He was the one who did it all, the one who was going to announce me coming. He's the one that had talked about. And so, like, and then he says, this is part one of part, or part one of two kind of strange verses here. So at first he says, there's not been anyone greater than, he says, again, Chapter 11, verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of woman, women, there has not been anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he's saying John's really great, but anybody else in the kingdom is greater. What's he saying? That John only had a taste. He only saw what was coming. He could talk about Jesus, but he didn't see it fulfilled. He knew Jesus was coming and acting as Messiah. But all of us who are in the kingdom, we see something more. John didn't live to see Jesus crucified. John didn't live to see Jesus raised from the dead. John didn't live to see Jesus ascend and sit at the right hand of God the Father. He's saying, John just had a glimpse of it. He saw what was coming, but we get to experience his fullness. Anyone else after experiences the fullness of who Jesus is. And that's fairly easy. And then we get to this strange verse here, verse 12, which is where I want to spend a little bit more of our time. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. 
or depending on what translation of the Bible you're reading, there's a, several different ways that's read. And even in my Bible, there's a little footnote that says the first part of it could be said, it's been forcefully advancing. And so part of the problem is the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. At least the New Testament was written in Greek. And it was written 2,000 years ago in a different culture, a different time, a different place. And the language that people spoke then, no one speaks today. We have an idea of how it works, but we don't fully understand it. And so sometimes what happens is we're trying to translate something, and it's not always easy. How many of you have ever studied a foreign language? One of the um, things that I learned with studying a foreign language someone once taught me early on is the, this idea that translation is treason. That any time you translate a foreign language, you have to change something. You have to put it into a current language. You, you change the way it's structured. When you look at many foreign languages, the word order is different than our English language. We have, and some of you, if you're in elementary school, you learn what? You know, subject, verb, object, subject, verb, now. And so the subject comes and then the verb comes. Like, I ran, I am preaching. Doesn't always work that way in foreign language. Sometimes the verb comes first. Sometimes the verb is at the end of the sentence. And English is somewhat complicated the way our verbs work. You know, like, I run, she runs, he runs, we run. But in many foreign languages, it gets even more complicated. The forms of the verb change in many different ways, depending on the person, if it's a first person, second person, third person, and all of you are falling asleep, grammar lesson. I didn't come for grammar lesson, right? So there's, there's all these different ways it changes. There's moods. There's all kinds of complicated things. It, just to say, Bible translation can be hard. And every once in a while, you come to a verse, and you say, I'm not really sure. Most of our Bible, we look and you compare translations, and you say, oh, everybody kind of agrees. It's, it's fairly simple. And other times, you come to a verse like this, and you say, what do I do with this? And so there's a couple options. The first part, where it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. That could also be translated as been forcefully advancing. So either the kingdom is being attacked or it's advancing with force. And then the second part says, and violent people have been raiding it. Or it could say that people are forcefully seizing it. So you've got it's forcefully advancing or it's subjected to violence or people are forcefully seizing it or violent people are raiding it in the last half. So you think, well, what do I do with that? It's like, my Bible should be more clear than this. I want to suggest to you, and I read a number of different scholars, and this is what I do. I go look and see what other people who've spent their lives studying these languages and are immersed in these things, to say, what did they think about it? And I went to the books and found out there's a reason there's different translations, because they can't agree on it. But one thing I notice is, in the end, and this is going to sound crazy, in the end, whichever way you translate it doesn't make too much difference. And I'm going to explain to you why. Whatever the way you translate it, I think the best way to say it is the kingdom is forcefully advancing and violent people are raiding it or trying to raid it. So the kingdom is advancing, but people are attacking against it. And why I think that is because what's the context? The context, the setting immediately is, John's in jail. In other words, people are trying to stop the kingdom from advancing. And Jesus is saying to his followers, 
don't pay any attention to the opposition. After this, he talks about people who are discounting the kingdom. He's saying, don't pay attention to the opposition because the kingdom is moving forward. But in the end, I said, what it, whether the kingdom is being forcefully advancing or subjected to violence, whether people are seizing it or violent people raiding it, the whole story here is about this context of opposition and doubt and about what Jesus is doing and what happens in the midst of that. It's about John who saw this and maybe thought Jesus isn't who I thought he was. And so the key verse for me is verse 6 where it says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, those who persevere through the hard times and recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Because whether we think the kingdom is advancing with force or being attacked with violence, whether we think we're called to seize it and hold on to it and grasp it in ways of trouble, or that violent people are trying to seize it, Jesus' point is that the kingdom is advancing and the focus, our focus is to be on Jesus and to trust that he is doing what he needs to do. And so we sang a song at the beginning of the service called Waymaker. And there's one of the lines in there. If you remember the line, that says, even though I don't see it, you're working. And I think that line from that song could go exactly with this passage here. Where John, or Jesus is saying to John, it may not look like it right now. It may not look like it right now. There's all this opposition to the kingdom of God. You're in jail, but what's happening is the kingdom is still going forward. And it's not based on our own strength, but it's based on who Jesus is, and it's a call to persevere. It's a call for us to maybe when we're going through hard times and maybe we don't think Jesus is who I thought he was, to continue to cling to him. And so I like the way one scholar talked about it. He said, as we consider the problems and challenges of the world and the things we can face, there's one thing we can rule out. The one thing we can rule out is the idea that God doesn't love us. Because the story of Scripture is that God loves us immensely. God loves us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus. And so whether you see the kingdom being attacked by people or being encouraged to say, the thing that we are called to focus on in the face of opposition and discouragement. And I think this is a, a great note for us here that John the Baptist, the one who Jesus said that no one greater than that has existed. No, there's been no prophet greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist had his doubts. John the Baptist looked at what Jesus was doing and he's like, I don't know. And it's maybe a reminder because sometimes maybe you feel and you have a doubt and you think, oh, I'm not, I don't know, there's something wrong with me. I've got doubts or I'm failing. Doubts are a normal part of the process. Doubts are something that it's okay to have those doubts. And more importantly, it's okay to express those doubts. It's okay to express those doubts. Sometimes in church, we feel like, I can't, I can't tell people I doubt that. Why? Because people are going to look down on me. I think I'd be safe to say that almost everyone here sitting here, if you've been following Jesus for more than a week or two, at some point you've had some doubts. You've had some questions. You think, I don't, I don't know. 
And, and maybe, it, it, and I'm not saying a doubt of like, I don't know if God exists. Maybe it's a doubt of, I'm not sure God loves me. I don't know if maybe God can forgive this. Maybe it's a doubt about how God responds to your prayers. Maybe it's some other doubt. But there's been something and you've been questioning, wondering, and Jesus is saying here in this story as he's telling, he's saying that in the face of opposition, in the face of all those things, Jesus is calling us to remember this thing, that the kingdom is advancing and the king is now reigning, and most importantly, that God loves you. And so that's what I would want us to hear is that good news today, that no matter how we deal with this strange verse, whether we think it's about the kingdom advancing forcefully or violence being done to it, or if we think about the call for us to seize onto it and grasp hold of it, or that it's about violent people trying to raid it, whatever it's about, in the midst of it is Jesus saying, I am at work. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The blessing comes by not paying attention to all those other things, but hanging on to Jesus. And to remember ultimately that God loves you, that Jesus gave his life for us. And so as we get ready to celebrate at the communion table, that's what we remember. That we can come and we have doubts. We have questions. We may not always understand every verse of the Bible. We, we can't get those things. But the thing we're called to understand and to remember is that God loves us deeply. That Jesus loves us. You know, as we look around and we, we face challenges, as we face problems, we may think, well, I don't know what, what caused these problems. And if you're like me, sometimes I sit and I look and I think, well, what did I do wrong? What, what happened here? And I'm not sure what's causing these problems. What's causing a problem maybe in my own life? What's causing the problems in my kids' lives? What's causing what's going on in our country? What's causing what's going on in the world around us? All these questions about it. And the one thing we can be certain of, the one thing we can rule out and say, I know one thing that is not causing those things. And that's the fact or the idea that God doesn't love us. Because the one thing we can hold true to from the Bible is that God does love us deeply. So if you begin to think, well, this is because God doesn't love me, you can write that one out. That's not the cause of your problems. That is not the cause of your problems. Because the story we're about to celebrate at the table when we come to take communion is that God does love each and every one of us. But as the Apostle Paul says, while we were yet sinners, while we were in rebellion, while we were choosing to go our own way, while we were choosing to do what we wanted, God loved us. Or, in perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible in John 3, 16, it says what? For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. God didn't look down and say, oh man, the world's all messed up, so I'm going to send my Son. He's, he said, God so loved the world that He sent His Son to die so that we can have life and life eternal. And so may we, church, remember that, that God loves us deeply. That in, when we face challenges, when we face opposition, when we face problems, whatever those are, when we begin to have the doubts, when we begin to have the question, when we think maybe God isn't working the way we expect Him to work, sometimes God doesn't work the way we expect Him to work. Sometimes Jesus doesn't show up the way we expect Him to show up. But I can guarantee one thing. I can't guarantee how Jesus will show up. I can't guarantee how God will show up. I can't guarantee how the Spirit will show up. But I can guarantee that no matter what's going on, that God loves you deeply. 
And it seems a simple message, and it is. It's a simple message, but sometimes hard to hold on to. Sometimes hard to hold on to. So may God give us the faith this day to hold on to that message that God loves you and loves you deeply. Amen.